should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It is, what are we, eight, week nine? Yep. Week nine? Well, it's week, week ten, 10 with a bye week. A Friday night kickoff, is it 7.30? Yep. 7.30? ESPN. ESPN 2. 2, sorry. ESPN it's 2. the deuce. Yeah, against Oregon State, which is, um, can you guys remember when, if Washington's ever played a team after a bye week where the opposition has also had a bye week? Oh, not, not at the top of my there's head. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. I'd I need to. Yeah, I need to go to some serious. But honestly, stats. with both teams playing on with playing on a Friday night, I think this is the way you do it. If you're going to play on a Friday night, you have both teams coming off of a bye. Oh, for sure. In terms of the scheduling, there, no fan of either team should have a problem with this. Yeah. But then they, that also gives them an extra day to prepare for Oregon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they lose a day in travel heading down to Oregon as well. No, a full day? It's three, yeah. two hours? Do they, do they bus down there? Or do they Typically fly? they have in the past. I don't know if they will now. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is I think even though Eugene would be, have like a bigger airport than like Corvallis or whatever, I think I, heard, I think I remember in the past that they would, if they took the plane, they would actually charter into like Corvallis even though they were staying even in Eugene. So don't ask me why. Because they just don't want to give the business to Eugene. <laughs> why Then why would they be staying in Eugene then? Because it's always been the Valley River Inn is would where you, they've always stayed. Would, would you stay in Eugene if you didn't have to? I would always stay in Salem because for practical terms, it's much easier to be much closer to home, even if it's only like an hour. It makes yeah. a difference. We'll have to ask um, you know, if they're going to bust or drive down, and we'll get an answer to that. But, On uh, Monday. Well, they don't even know what time the game's being played yet, and we won't know that Ugh. until probably Saturday or yeah. Sunday. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the thing is, it, it, my guess is uh, if Washington wins, it's probably a big noon game on Well, I think, I think according to John Wilner, it's either going to be like between 4, 4.30 or oh. night, 7, oh, 7.30. Okay. That's then what that's it sounds like. So I think everyone is probably going to be praying for a mid-afternoon game. I, mean, I certainly will be. But I'll yeah. tell you what, the last time they had a mid-afternoon game, if I remember correctly, wasn't it the last time they played down there? And No, was it 2018? And as much as it sucked having to try to cover that game, you know, the way they lost in overtime and all that, the sunset, yeah, when perfect. you see it over Otson Stadium, it was really, yeah, really it was, nice. It was 2018. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice to watch. So, I mean, yes, I know Washington fans, you're, 
Seafetters at dogman.com. You can send all your hate mail to me, but I'm telling you that sunset that particular day was was memorable because I'm talking about it now. Softy's beside himself because probably going to be a late start down in Eugene, and then the Seahawks play mm-hmm. at 6 o'clock in the morning against Tampa Bay. I think that game is in Germany the yeah. next day. So. Was it Ham- Hamburg? No, right, right, right. I, I think it's maybe Gamber. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. But we had a chance to talk to Coach DeBoer on uh, Monday. I, I Just nothing really seemed to jump out. Um, he talked about some of the younger guys, you know, being able to get in the mix with the extra reps. But nothing really jumped out from what he said on Monday. The biggest thing that jumped out to me was what he started it off with was that he had, that was the most players they'd had on the field since they got here. Um, well, and the fact also that standpoint. they're also planning to hopefully have the secondary lineup that they had in game one. For the second one. game in a row. So you've, they've yeah. gone literally from week one till now, which we talked about week 10, they've had eight different secondary lineups. Mm-hmm. So to, go, to, to be able to have that, think about all the turmoil that they've had to go through uh, with the defensive backs, and, and obviously they've really suffered as a result of that. But uh, to talk about it in those terms, it, it, it really kind of puts it in stark. Uh, understanding of what exactly they've had to go through. Did uh, Perryman actually get hurt in the Kent State yes, game? Yes, yes. So he, he didn't play up. the full. He didn't play the full game. No, no. he didn't. No, he because he got run around and then he actually got hurt going towards the Kent State sideline. So, so in, that's where that's where he got pulled out. So the last week at Cal was the first time since the opening game um, that they had the yes. um, they had all those guys on the field at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, and I'm not sure, you know, we can get into it a little bit later, but, you know, just Oregon State is, looks like they're going to run the ball. So yep. I think it's more d- important to have those defensive linemen healthy than it is those DBs. Oh, well, yeah, but the DBs got to get in their run fits too. I mean, having Asa Turner be able to come in, be, be in there and doing his thing. Uh, Alex Cook is, he's okay in run fits. I don't think he's that great, but um, he is who they have. And, you know, you got you've got to be on your p's and q's when when it comes to those run fits because Oregon State will gash you. Well, speaking of the defensive line, we didn't ask um, the coaches this week about Qualpehopa. We don't know what his status is. Assuming he's still week to week for violation of team rules. Well, obviously that's one thing we're going to have to check mm-hmm. out on Friday afternoon, Friday night when we see the team hit the field. Is is ninety eight out there? Yeah. And, and and if ninety eight is back out there and he's playing. That could be a I, real big bonus. I don't them. remember seeing him, you know, on Wednesday when we were walking off the field. When they were walking off the field, I don't remember seeing him. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be available. I'm just, I yeah, didn't yeah. see him. I mean, I'm going to be surprised if we see him the rest. of I the year. I am too. I will too. Yeah. So the rest uh, of the year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, it's just he's got to. We know what it, we know what it is. There's just a lot that needs to happen. Yeah. So. I mean, it's team business, and it's not. Yep up to us to put that out, you know, so if it was your kid, you know, just we'd respect that as well. So if the coaches want to say what it is, fine. Until then, you know, we'll figure it out. But yeah, yeah, um, you know, uh, yesterday we had a chance to talk to some of the players as well. Had a chance to talk to Michael Penix, which was interesting because he's from Miami and then in Indiana. Um, and you would expect him to have some rainy games da- back in uh, Miami, but uh, said he really didn't, except one game that was in a monsoon. And he says, "Yeah, I think I threw for four hundred yards, anyways." Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. remember, he's well. Just to make sure, he's from Tampa, Tampa not from Miami. Excuse me. So I don't know what the monsoon situation is in the in the middle of the state. 
or that's not, it's, I guess, on, on the, the West Coast, side, West side yeah. of the state, as opposed to the East side of the state. I don't know if they're shielded more because of that <clears> stuff. Or maybe the monsoons come from the Gulf of Mexico instead of the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. But, but he um, also talked about yeah. hitting you. Yeah. He's in the <laughs> well, ball. that's the thing, though. When you think about it, everyone talks about the passing game when they think about rain. It's just ball security, guys. Yeah. A fumble can happen with a running back just as well as it can happen with a receiver. Yeah. Or a quarterback. But so, I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on can he throw the ball, though, like you want him to throw the ball. And, you know, and if, if it's like it was you know, this week yeah. where it's, they, they did experience some rain in practice, so people can, can well, stop freaking out about that. According to Ryan Grubb, he goes, every day I've been driving into practice thinking, okay, today's the day we get a rain practice. Didn't he say this? Yeah. And, and, then, and then he goes, and then I get here, and it's ending at 8 well, o'clock. There's no question that it's very been very spotty. Yeah. Like when I was driving in from Ballard, it was really raining hard. And by the time I got to Montlake, it wasn't it's raining gone. at all. Yeah. So I assumed that they got some rain because it was clearly wet on the, <laughs> yeah. on the pavement. But, again – the way the rain goes around here this time of year, very rarely do we get like heavy rain for a really long period it's of time. It's usually November. It's yeah. usually that's usually a little bit later. Now we're kind of getting into the kind of half it, <laughs> we're being Mother Nature, here. Mother, yeah. Mother Nature doesn't know if it, if it's if we're fully out of the fall or if we're really starting to get into the muck. Also, I had a chance to talk to Wayne Talapapa, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he struggled in the first half against Cal with some drops, which is really not like him. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Michael had also talked about when he was back at Indiana that they had a game against uh, Virginia, and um, both him and Mike, um, him and Wayne, uh, didn't play much. He said, but it was just so cold. And Mm -hmm. when I was um, talking to Wayne about that, asked him if he remembered that game, and he said he did, and he said how cold it was. And I said, you remember who who won? And Michael Penix ran by and started laughing. He goes, we won! So it was was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So they actually played against each other. That's Uh, interesting, though, because you think of it, Indiana and Virginia? Yeah. Is that either a bowl bowl game? It was at Indiana. Because if it was at Indiana, was it September? Why would it have been that cold in September? You never know. You can get Or maybe even early October, I suppose. You could get an early... Early cold thing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. Yeah, and the other interesting guy I talked to is Mish Powell. And I think getting Mish back is huge because he's a big physical corner. And I think he's really going to help this week. Yeah, yeah, definitely on the shorter passing game. I mean, he's really good at sniffing out those short screen passes and taking the right angle so that it's tough to block him. And and he made a couple plays on Cal guys last week. Yeah, and you had a chance to um, I spoke. I spoke to Rome a little bit. I spoke to Asa Turner a little bit. you know, I mean, uh, some of it was about NIL, which I think, you know, Rome's basically like, I think he's of the opinion that it's like, if I take care of what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to take care of, the rest of that stuff will kind of come. And, they, and they're getting, they have a lot of support in this area, whether it's from Boundless Futures or Montlake Futures. They're getting a lot of support off the field for that stuff. So I, I, I got the sense that they've, if, if he is kind of the example of what you want to use for the Washington football team in terms of NIL, they seem pretty pleased with how things are going with that because we were talking about it. One of the things you talked to, uh, to Mike about, Penix, was the Top Golf. Yeah. They, they had a little outing with Top Golf uh, during the bye week, and it sounded like that thing went off really, really well. Yeah, if you ever want to see something funny, football players with golf clubs in their hand, unless they're a quarterback, usually doesn't work out well. Well, now we can go. Can we remember? We, we can go all the way back in the past when there have been some outings, whether it was either fundraisers for the Tai or someone when they were playing at Washington National. And then we'd even have some media events out there sometimes. 
And I remember when they were having tea prizes and stuff, and they would have some of the athletes out there. And this was the time when Nate Robinson was oh. one of the guys. And so we gave Nate a club to try to swing. And he, I think either he topped it or missed it completely. But you would think that one of the supreme athletes to ever come out of Washington, two-sport guy, and the first time we ever saw him try to swing a club, it was like he had never seen it. Gol- he didn't know anything is, about it. Golf is not a sport for – I don't want to take away from golfers who are good athletes. Well, I'm just but talking about basic not, coordination. Athleticism has nothing to do with being able to hit. But a you think, golf but you ball. think guys that are dual sport in college at that level in, in basketball and football, the hand eye thing if would you've be never there, done right? It, though you got to yeah. grip it weird. I remember the first time I had to grip it. With, I was like, why am I holding it like this? this you know, so you ever dumb. notice it's always the quarterbacks that are the good golfers? Oh, absolutely. The, the, they hit the hand-eye coordination. Yeah. Well, well, and they also was, have some of the time Jake to play. Hain, wasn't Jake Hainer like a one handicap or have, something like yeah, that? Yeah, they have a lot of time to play. Yeah. I think it's the analytical way that quarterbacks think. Well, Jake Hainer's dad, if I remember correctly, was the club pro. Like, he was a Maybe. golf pro I just in, remember his mom being a uh, news anchor yeah. in the Bay Area. Well, um, Ray Porter said what he shot, oh, 70, yeah. 72 when he was 12 years old at St. Andrews? Yeah. You know, no, but, no, no, no. I mean, that, there's no doubt. I mean, there's... You know, some of it is is socioeconomic. We, we don't need to go into that, but yeah. um, there's there are reasons why. But I just thought it was funny because you can take some of the world's best athletes, hand-eye coordination, the whole bit, and put a golf club in their hand and a ball on a tee. And if you want to make them look foolish, it's not hard. <laughs> uh, Asa, you had a chance to talk to Asa. Anything of interest from Asa? Just really just getting back and, and how he feels like he's back to 100% health, which was huge for him. He said the bye week came at a perfect time, not just for him, but he feels for the, like the entire secondary because the, you know he's, been, he's right in the middle of all that secondary stuff with all those guys kind of coming and going and, and trying to make a cohesive unit with that group. has been very, very difficult, but he feels like – that bye week came at the perfect time because not only were they getting Mish back, and Mish got a chance to play against Cal, so that was a good kind of ramp for him to go into the bye week and really get 100% healthy. But now maybe you get a guy like Julius Irvin back, who was so huge for them in the middle seat, in the middle, like games two, three, four, five. He was really huge for them, and now he, he needs to come back and show that he's ready to go and healthy. Um, but it was also important to get the younger guys, guys like Javion Green, guys like Tristan Dunn, guys getting those guys ready to go because they're going to be really important for the end of this season stretch. I mean, a guy like Dunn, I mean, he's probably right on the edge of the games played in terms of whether or not he's going to be able to redshirt because Javion Green, Javion Green's not going to redshirt. Yeah, the, he's the only, done. The only two who've burned their redshirts so far, at least the article that I did during the bye week, right. was Javion Green and Javon Parker. Right. Yeah. Everybody else still has at least one game left that they can play. See, I thought DeBoer said this week that Parker was right on the edge. He did, but it's actually five. He has played in five games. Okay. At okay. least according to what the they, participation, the participation charts. charts. And Garen Patches, position change to tight end. Yeah, I spoke to, to Garen <laughs> quite a bit, and uh, we were Dan Raley and I were talking to him about that. And he, he's just he's kind of of the opinion of, of a lot of those guys. It's like, whatever you want me to play, Coach, I'll do it. And, I just want to get on the field. And not to jump too far ahead, because I had a really long talk with, with Coach Schmidt this week. But I asked him special teams, and I said, why is a guy like Garen Hatchett such a good fit for you guys in the shield? And he goes, it's, it's, it's the way his brain works. He goes, we just love how he operates. And the other thing is is that it's just like with Mateo Mele and just like with Nate Kalepo on, off- on the offense. They want to get those guys in the game somehow, some way. They've worked hard enough to do it. They want to get reps. They want to keep developing those guys. And so if they can get them in for a handful of plays every game, 
it keeps them motivated. It keeps them engaged. And the more guys that are engaged and motivated yeah. in the locker room, it really pays dividends. And that's why it kind of surprises me when they had Jeremiah Martin line up on the offensive side of the ball when they could put a guy like Garen Hatchett and Mateo Mele or uh, even a Nate Kalepo or uh, Bulo, you know, with that extra offensive lineman and why they would bring a guy like Jeremiah Martin over instead. I, I don't have an answer for you. I, I I was surprised when we saw Martin come in that one time. So Well, what's interesting, Kim, is if you look at the other side, if you look at the team they're playing against on Friday, uh, Oregon State, they have arguably the best two-way guy in the entire country in Jack Coletto. And I asked Eric Springer about, about this specifically because Jack Coletto has such a unique skill set. I mean, he's a 250-pound guy, but he played quarterback in high school. They've got other quarterbacks, too, that you've got to look out for, not just at the quarterback position. They have a lot of versatility in that backfield. But when you bring a guy like Coletto in on short yardage and goal line and stuff like that, everyone knows what's coming, and you can't stop it. You just can't stop it. And so I asked him about that, but going back to a guy like Hatchett, um, not only talking about that versatility and keeping him engaged and keeping him motivated because he was was in on it. He was 100%. He's like, I'll do whatever I need to do. If it gets me on the field, I'm going to play it. And he talked about whether it's tight end, whatever. I think they just want the versatility. When you talk about a guy like Jeremiah Martin trying to play it, a guy like Hatchett trying to play it, I think they just want to keep these guys engaged and motivated and feeling like there are some unique skill sets out here with some of their bigger guys that they can really uh, use to try to help them. Um, One thing I will add, too, before uh, we go to the coaches, just talking to Hatchet a little bit more. Obviously, I wanted to ask him about his connection with his brother, with Landon, who is (coughs) he will sign here next month, I would imagine. Uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't sign mid-year. Is that Right, Scott? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all, I guess there's always a possibility anymore, but um, no, everything that I'm aware of, no. Yeah, so he, so we talked to him a little bit about that, and, and, and I don't know if people understood this, but they actually played a year together in, in football at, at Ferndale, and so to, to get back and play with him again, he goes, you know, there's just not a lot of brothers that, that get an opportunity to do this at this level. So he goes, I'm just going to embrace it and cherish it and, and go with it as far as we can because it's, it's such a unique idea. The one benefit with Garen Hatchett, because he's only he's three years older than uh, Yeah, Landon. but he gets that 2020 season, He gets the right? 2020 season back, so he actually has three full seasons that yeah. he can play with him. Yeah, which is great. You had a long, I don't know if you had a lunch date or just a conversation with Eric Schmidt. You had him forever. I don't know. It must have been my, it must have been my deodorant or something because everyone was staying away. I, I talked to Coach Schmidt for about 15 minutes this yeah. week, and uh, it was a great conversation. And to be honest with you, I really wanted to talk to him as much about special teams as it was the edge guys, because the edge guys have been the most consistent unit. Um, there's still some things, obviously, they need to clean up. We talked a little bit about you know, what they need to do in the flats in terms of making sure that they keep progressing, and, and those uh, whether it's the screen game or some of these passes to the flat where the edge guys need to be responsible to, to really put those things down quickly, because sometimes in the past they've turned those two- and three-yard gains into like 20-yard gains because they haven't been able to tackle get guys on the ground. He goes, they're getting better at that, but they need to keep improving. Um, the one thing I really wanted to ask him on special teams was not just about Hatchet, but also the development of the return guys. Because I don't know if people have understood this or seen it, watch it evolve, but Giles Jackson was like the kick returner and the punt returner basically like the first half mm-hmm. of the year. These last three or four games, it's been more like Cameron Davis back there Um you know they, they've tried they've tried to use other guys and then in the in the punt return game you've had J Mac 
You've also had um, Junior Alexander mm-hmm. uh, taking some punts. And they and I just asked him, I said, has the evolution of this thing kind of changed back to the idea of using starters? Because we know how much they want to use starters as cover guys. Mm-hmm. as return, Like Wayne Talapapa, great example. Carson Berner, if he's ever started, he's been a big-time guy. They've used a ton of their defensive backs. Dominique Campton has been a, has been a guy over the years. It's been a, a big-time player for them in special teams. I said, I, I understand that in terms of guys in the cover and, and blocking game, but what about as returners? And he goes, you know, we're using kind of the running back by committee approach anyway. So to get a guy like Cam Davis out there who's really close, he, they feel he's close to breaking one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means to the house or just maybe a, a 30 or 40 yarder. But anyways, and they haven't, had, they haven't broken one in a long time. Not since, like, what, John Ross? John Ross, probably. Um, they, they need and to get Dante some production. And Pettis, obviously. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, that's, and he's such a unicorn yeah. when it comes to those things. But we talked a little bit about that, and he just said, hey, those guys want to play the position. Because we're going uh, running back by committee, it doesn't, we don't feel like we're exploiting it if Cam Davis is returning some kicks because he's not carrying the ball 30 times a game. He's not doing it like Miles Gaskin mm-hmm. or Simon Ackman or one of those types of guys. So that, that's kind of been their thinking on the return game. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying The Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for The Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Coach Grubb had his guys out with a bucket full of water, mm-hmm. dipping balls in it yeah. before they threw it. And it's not so much about the balls being wet. Let me phrase it that way. It's more about because they could dry God. those off. They could dry those off, but he says it's more about dipping their hands in the water and getting their hands wet. Yeah, and getting yeah. used to it. Yeah, for for Penix, it's just going to be. I think I don't. I've said it on the board several times. I don't think the rain is going to be the issue. It's going to be wind, and that, that's going to be the biggest thing. Aside from obviously in terms of the passing, game, yeah, 100%. And, 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 I mean, aside from the pass rush and things like that, I'm, if you're just talking about the elements, the rain isn't going to cause any problems for the Washington passing game. It's going to be the wind but and how they handle. But it. you remember, you know, Sark told us when he was recruiting quarterbacks, he was looking for a guy who could really spin the ball because it makes a difference in Husky Stadium. Yeah, because of the wind. That's why it's wind. It, yeah. it has nothing to do with the rain. It's all wind. And you need guys with tight spirals. Michael Penix throws a tight spiral, so that's a good thing. And I'm also assuming at 6'3", almost 220, he's got – I haven't really noticed. Is he He probably has pretty big hands. Everybody says his hands are ginormous. Yeah, and so when it comes to that, holding on to the ball with grip, I mean, that's that's going to be a that's big part be of it too. Because, you know, I know some of those other guys, whether it was a Hainer, I don't – Dylan Morris is – I don't know if his Dylan Morris's are, hands aren't that big, He's but he's got a – he can – Throw it really well. Oh no, he can so, spin it. There's yeah. no Michael's question are, about that. He said Michael's hands are ten plus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, who are some of the quarterbacks at Washington who threw floaters? Keith Price kind of th- th- 
throw a floater. Nick Montana. No, Keith Price. Keith Price didn't have a cannon, but he could throw it. He could throw it. Yeah. <laughs> my 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 candidate for floater. Nick Montana. Nick, no. Casey Paws. Yeah, Casey Paws. <laughs> Casey Paws was the ultimate floater. Yeah, um, I I don't I don't remember uh, who was the one that took uh, Ronnie Fouch. Yeah, uh, he I don't think he had the the strongest no, arm in the he world. Didn't have so. the, not compared to Jake Locker. Who was the one who would throw it? No, the ball seemed to go with the nose down all the time. Uh, Cody Pickett. Cody Pickett did that. Yeah, he did a lot. that. Uh, it was Keith Price. That was one that you the no about the a lot. nose seemed a to lot. be down on the ball all the no, time. No, uh, Silent Miles. You, that, it, it was silent. Guys, but it was I know, silent. I know, Kyle, I know Cody Beckett used to do that too, yeah. deliberately. Yeah. So, anyways, but uh, interesting talking to uh, Coach uh, Grubb about uh, that. And mm-hmm. just, you know, listen to it. He talks about Michael's hand and his finger placement that allows him to spin the ball a little bit more. So, interesting uh, talking, to, uh, talking to him. And then I, I, I tried to talk to Coach Brechterfield. He doesn't like to talk much. No, nope. no. Nope. He just... He's real matter of fact with you. He doesn't really put up with a lot. You better ask good questions. Yeah, he's, he honestly reminds me of interviewing um, what's his face Gilbertson. If you didn't ask Gilbertson a good Gilby? question, yeah, oh. if you didn't ask him a good question, okay. he he wouldn't give you anything. He'd just be like, "What?" Yeah, okay. Well, Coach Brechterfield facing his alma mater, and he's done that before when he was at UCLA. He played with Jonathan Smith, but every time I asked him a question, it was like, "Can I go now?" Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, he's just a no-nonsense defensive yeah. lineman. So, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to talk to us. Nope. Yeah. But at the same time, this is the week where we would want to talk to him because of his connection with Oregon State, obviously his alma mater, if there's a connection with Jonathan Smith, mm-hmm. those types of things. Yeah, he just seemed one of those, it's game week, I'm irritable. What yeah. do you want? You know, yeah. which is fine, which is fine. He's not rude mm-hmm. like some of the guys that we've had in the past. Who would you talk to uh, yesterday? I, uh, I talked to uh, Coach Morell. Asked him about how the the practices have come along, and he said, "Yeah, the guys have, they've had a really good couple couple days of practices so far. Has he's liked the communication between in the secondary? Thinks that um, you know thinks it's not going to be an easy task by any stretch of the imagination because Oregon State is one of those few teams who run the ball physically, but can also push it down the field a little bit because of the talent they have at wide receiver. And he said, he said they give you, they, they can hit you at all levels, especially with the way they use their tight ends. Oregon's another one who uses their tight ends yep. unbelievably. And Oregon State, so Oregon State and Oregon are the two that really use their tight ends quite a bit, and Utah use their tight ends quite a bit. And um, he said that this team, we're going to have to really be on our coverages, know exactly what we're doing, read formations correctly, because if we don't, we're going to get carved up. Which is interesting because, you know, I mean, it's they're about a 60-40 run team, mm-hmm. whereas Washington's about a 60-40 pass team. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would think Washington sometimes would have an edge using some tight ends and whatnot, but that's a huge supplement of their game, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see if Musgrave, for instance, is he, is he, is he going to play? I, mean, no. I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like heard. it, yeah. but that's such a huge loss for them. <laughs> but you look at the kid from Prep, uh, Veli. Yeah, um, he's turned. He's starting to really emerge, and that yeah. he's a true freshman, right? Yep, true freshman. So you know they've they've got some weapons and some guys that probably were a little underlooked, and and I wonder if if Veli had been eligible for like 2023 class, for instance, whether or not Washington well, would have been all over him. I know compared that to the, the timing of a year. I ago. know that DeBoer and um, Sheridan went to Seattle Prep when they first got here before right. cuz I don't think he signed until right. February. But it was so late. It was so late in the process that they got Sheridan hired that they that DeBoer 
And so when they went to see him, they, they had told him that uh, they, they liked him and wanted to see if he was – because I think by then he had already committed to Oregon State. Yeah. And so they asked him, and he just said, no, I'm set on Oregon State. But, but, it's, it, but it also underscores now why you see them going after a guy like yeah. Dorian Thomas, yeah. who's, the, who's a kid who's, who's a tight end committed to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to get in on those guys again. But, it, yeah, I mean – Well, there's also Jensen, who's committed to Oregon State too. Yep. Uh, Jerry Jensen's son. Yep. I forget. Is it Jack Jensen? Cooper? I think some Cooper, Cooper Jensen. Yeah, Cooper it might Jensen. be Cooper Jensen. But he he's another one that they're looking at. They I mean they, they want to get a tight end in this class. There's no doubt though that, that Smith and, and and those coaches at Oregon State have done a very good job of recruiting this area mm-hmm. in the vacuum between Lake and DeBoer. They yeah. really they were probably as good at taking advantage of that as anybody not named Ohio State. And I know that the Oregon State coaches are really worried about uh, Jensen. Yeah. Uh, I know that they're hanging on for dear life with that kid. So yeah. if Washington offers that kid, so that'll that'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, I'd be shocked if he didn't take it if if that was the case. Yeah, so we'll see if that offer comes through. Any Anything else from football? I want to touch bases on basketball. No, just that I, I think it's been a pretty typical week. Even though it's a short week for football, the media stuff doesn't really change no. for us. And so it's been a pretty solid week. A lot of interviews. Again, like I said, a, a really long conversation with Eric Schmidt. Um, and, I'll, and I'll post a lot of those quotes here uh, either later this afternoon or tomorrow morning. But, um, yeah, just a lot of good conversations. And I, I get the sense that this bye week just came at a really, really good time for them. Not just because they needed it. Um, but also simply because of the opponents that they're having to face going forward. They can really just go, okay, we've got four guys. We've got a whole month of November. We just got to plow through this and really finish strong. Well, when the weather changes like this and it starts getting cold, because it just seemed like a, a switch was flipped, you start getting into the dog days, and it's good to have a little bit of time off. I think this timing was better because if it would have been a couple weeks ago, um, I just think the timing was perfectly good for them to just kind of do uh, a deep breath and kind of a reset second half of the season yeah. and make a go of it. Yeah, get healthy. And get healthy winning that Cal game, you know, just well, sets. Well, winning two in a row. Yeah, it just sets, the, sets yep. the tone. Um, basketball, uh, Tuesday night, exhibition against Alaska Fairbanks, just not even really a fair matchup. It, that's why it was an exhibition game. A lot of good things to see from the basketball team. Uh, we saw them play uh, everybody. Um, all the scholarship players got in. We got to see some newcomers, especially I think the guy that uh, people are kind of latched on to, and I've been talking about him for a while, Keon Menefield, the guard from uh, Flint, Michigan. He's uh, He looks like he could be something special, so something to keep an eye on. He showed up at 135 pounds, and uh, I think five of that is hair. So he looks like that score they're looking from. Uh, Frank Kepnong, Braxton Mia, Keon, Keon Brooks looks like uh, he's a player. He's probably going to be their leading scorer this year. Well, I'll tell you, he's, he has that move where he comes in from the corners and, and curls into the elbow and then hits, you know, just goes up for the, for the, the, the turnaround jumpers and the elbows. And it looks like he, he just jumps like 12 feet. I mean, it just he jumps out of the gym. And then you talk about Keon Metafield. Um, you know, I just saw it's so funny. As, as good as he looked offensively, he was going up for some rebounds, and he was literally going up, and his head was almost at the rim when he was making a couple of those rebound uh, attempts. And so, I, you know, there's a lot of athleticism in this group, a lot of length, even though a guy like Keon is only about 6'2". Um, you know, he's, he's not going to be a starter, obviously, I don't think this year, uh, unless some really weird things happen. Um, but ultimately, it, you know, they played a lot of man against the, the Nanooks, 
which is um, one of the best nicknames ever, the Nanooks. And um, so they played a lot of man, and, and Fairbanks was down a couple players, a couple of their key starters. So that's another reason why Washington was able to win by 30-plus. Um, but this is a team that made a deep run into the, the NCAA tournament. It was Division, it was division, division two, two. yeah. So they, this is a team that had some players. Now, they did a complete turnaround. Like, they, they got, like, eight new players on their roster, something like that. So it was a, a new roster, and a couple of the key guys that they used um, this week to play against Washington were from the area, a kid from Seattle Prep and a kid from Kentwood. So there, that was interesting that they were able to get those guys, and they and I thought they showed some glimpses, but – Really, when it comes down to it, Kim, when they decide to go zone, when Washington really, you know, when, when Hopkins, you know, hits that switch and, and they go zone up front with P.J. Fuller and Noah Williams, that has – that they, they have a chance to really be truly elite up there because they're not of the Thibel category. They're not at that top, top, top level, but they show enough Thibel characteristics with their length and their anticipation – to cause a lot of havoc and get a lot of points in transition. And if they lose that matchup at the top of the key, they got rim protectors that can clean it up. Yes, they do. And and we haven't seen a situation yet where both uh, Braxton and Frank play together. I don't think you will. It all depends. I think that's going to be another thing where they, if they have matchups, like if, if USC or UCLA, if they go big, Washington now can go big. It's all about having that position versatility and the personnel in order to do whatever they want to do, whether it's the zone or man. So I think that's really important. Don't confuse the athleticism of this team for being soft. This is a tough physical team. Uh, they knocked two guys out of the game last night with blows to the face. Well, yeah, chipped one guy's tooth, which was okay. um <laughs> But they, yes, they were diving. For, and, and to me, toughness is more like what P.J. Fuller was doing, going diving for loose balls, doing that thing, really contesting uh, those 50-50 possessions. It's PJ, huge. P.J. looked like Eddie when somebody yelled fumble. Yeah, but like, yeah, <laughs> knocking guys down, whatever. Anybody can do that. But actually hounding a guy and getting the ball back and creating a sudden change play where your guys can get money in transition – that's toughness to me. That's what that's, and these guys showed it. And PJ really, I think Mike Hopkins was right when he talked about it. PJ really started that with his toughness. And then we know what kind of toughness that Noah Williams has when he really wants to lock down a guy. He can absolutely lock down a guy. It's, I'm right under the basket, you know, and it's been a while since I've heard a guy that can talk trash like Noah Williams. And it's just, I mean, it's nonstop. And the stuff that comes out of his mouth is just, God, I'd love to get him mic'd up for a game. He's in guys' ears in their face. And, you know, the two guys that got, you know, bloodied up from going amongst the oak trees down below. And he was laughing at him. He was talking on the foul stripe. And, uh, no, it's fun. Uh, like Hopkins says, he hated playing against him. But I'm glad he's on our team is what Mike Hopkins says he's a good guy to have well i don't think noah stops trash talking he was trash talking in the post game <laughs> so it, it doesn't stop and and that's i guess that's probably part of the point if you can back it up and and like i told you off off the air here if he can come up i don't care if he scores a point and i'm not even sure if hopkins cares if he scores a point if he could come up with 10 assists and six steals every game <laughs> that's money in the bank and he will take that every single time because you're asking him to be the point guard Something he hasn't done in a little while, but he did it at the high school level, won a state championship at the high school level doing that. If he can facilitate the offense, facilitate some transition, 
and, and create own opportunities for himself by getting to the hole, by, by, by anticipating uh, passes and going on the fast break. If you're, if you're Mike Hopkins, you're like, yeah, all day. I'll take that all day. You talk about Noah and PJ diving for balls. <laughs> Big Frank's diving in the stands after stuff. Yeah, that was not. Yeah, that wasn't smart. But yeah, but <laughs> he that, only but, knows he only knows one way. Yeah, but that, that exactly that he knows one hundred percent. That's the way he's going to go. I was the. I think the most impressive thing to me about both uh, Brax and and Frank is was their energy, but also the way they ran the floor. It's been a while since I've seen bigs. I mean, like legit bigs. I'm not talking about Langston Wilson type bigs because I love Langston. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Langston has a has a definite role on this team, and I think he could be a difference maker. But he's not a big in the sense of these guys. And these guys were running the lanes as good as Langston was, and that's impressive. Wrap it up, Scott Eklund. Uh, you know, weird to be back after kind of a weird, uh, weird week off where we just got the coaches on Monday. Um, and not even all the coaches, just the two coordinators and, and uh, Coach DeBoer. But, yeah, we were um, still able to talk to him later in the week. I know. I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, and then, but then, you know, we get, we get, get back into the flow this week. Um, looking forward to the game on Friday night. I'm glad I'm going to be up in the press box because it doesn't sound like it's going to be very fun down on the, on the sidelines, um, on Friday night. But yeah, um, Washington really needs to get this win. I, I, it would be, I mean, I think it would arguably be their best win of the season if they, granted, I think Michigan State, even though they're three and five now, um, I think the win over Michigan State definitely gave this program some momentum in the right direction. But Oregon State would be the best win they've had so far this season, in my opinion. Wrap it up, Chris Setters. Yeah, and to go off that, I would say that it, you know, I noticed that all three of the non-conference opponents uh, are three and five currently through eight games, and it was brought to my attention that every team that Washington's played outside of UCLA is three and five. So that tells me that. Washington's got a lot of uphill climbing to do these last four games. Colorado, notwithstanding. But when you look at Oregon State, you look at Oregon, you look at Washington State, those are going to be teams that they all are going to have to come to play. All tough games. And again, talking to Coach Schmidt, we were talking about how you know the defensive, especially their that position group and that defensive line has to take what they've done in terms of sacks, tackles for loss, all that upfield pressure and all that aggressiveness. They've got to turn those into turnovers, into sudden change plays. Because for all, I mean, we're talking about a team that's top 15 in the country, guys, in sacks, total sacks. They have two fumbles mm-hmm. in eight games. That, I mean, it just doesn't compute. I mean, it, it would almost, I mean, you'd almost have to work at not being able to do, to do that, to be able to, to make yeah. it work. And so he said that's absolutely a focus that they've worked on. Um, and you know when, when on paper two teams are as evenly matched as they are like Oregon State and Washington Friday night, those are the kind of plays that spell the difference between wins and losses. And so it was good to talk to the players and coaches this week about those types of things because I, underst- I think they understand, they really understand the gravity of what it's going to be like going up against a team that is legitimately as good as they are and maybe even better because they're ranked. And in first, I think they're ranked in the AP Top 25 for the first time since 2013. So think about what this means for Oregon State, too. Friday night kickoff at 7.30. The goal for all of us is to be out of the stadium by 2 o'clock. Midnight. Yeah. That's the goal. Midnight is the goal. 1 o'clock is acceptable. Yeah. Game's going to finish like around 11. (laughs) No. 
I have a feeling that the refs will push it all the way till midnight. Yeah. So, ESPN yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. ESPN two. Commercials. Yeah. We're not getting them no. for a while. And then uh, also cupcakes. You got to have room for the cupcakes. Yeah. Also on uh, Monday night uh, basketball game. Um. Uh. You know, season opener. It's not an exhibition game against Weber State, and uh, eight o'clock. Uh, for that on Monday. So, uh, you know, we'll be all over it. And then just also don't forget, fall back. Clocks get set back an hour on Sunday. So Scott gets to sleep an extra hour. I'll take, I'll take the no on that. So, uh, I'll take it. I'll take, can I take your hour? You don't want it? (laughs) I just, this is the week that I wish the Saturday game, that it was actually a Saturday game. So, (laughs) but yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, we'll wrap it up. And for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. 